following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Galatians chapter 2 today, and uh, what I'd like to do uh, this morning is revisit our theme for the year, uh, Devoted to God. So uh, as we've been doing throughout the year, just occasionally, uh, every couple months or so, I've uh, picked a key text related to our theme and uh, brought us back to it. And so today, uh, we're going to be in Galatians 2, uh, 19 through 20. So, so what we're doing this year, uh, for those of you that uh, are new or, or visiting, is uh, we are uh, re- giving a special emphasis to the fact uh, that when Christ purchased us on the cross, He set us apart from the world uh, to Himself to be His own special people. We are devoted to Him. And because of that, we must glorify the Lord by living holy lives of obedience to His will. But have you ever wondered, what is it that makes our holiness different from every other religion in the world? After all, there's lots of religiously zealous people in the world. And, um, and so is there really something different? Or, or are we just another group of religious zealots who are passionate about our faith. That question really hit me for the first time uh, when I was a youth pastor and, uh, and we took our first ministry trip to the state of Utah. So when I was at uh, the Church of Michigan, we had a church planter uh, that was in a, a, a section of, of Utah near Provo, and uh, it was uh, basically everyone, basically everyone was a devout Mormon in that area. And it was a, a fascinating place to visit because when you... When you were in this community, I mean, it it felt, in a sense, like you were in a world of Christian conservatism. For example, it it was fascinating to go to Walmart and people watch, but not for the normal reason you people watch at at Walmart. You know, normally uh, it's kind of a scary thing to people watch at Walmart, Um, but but here it was very different, because everyone you saw looked like they were following the dress and modesty standards of a conservative Christian college. You know, they were wearing modest clothes, they were clean cut, saw lots of husbands and wives followed by three or four well-behaved children that weren't screaming and crying. That's very different from your normal experience at Walmart. And then uh, we went down to the Temple Square in Salt Lake City, and again, we ran into a lot of people that looked like us, for the most part, talked like us. Remember, we even had the opportunity to listen to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir rehearse. And, uh, and it was impressive to see. And, and they sang, praise the Lord, the Almighty. They sang, come thou fount of every blessing. And it sounded like a really good Christian choir. So it challenged me to ask, what makes my faith different from that Mormon population there in the state of Utah? Because to an outsider, they'd probably look at us and look at them and say, they're basically the same thing. They're really passionate about God. They're really passionate about obedience to His will. Well, there are several answers I could give, but our text for today provides the fundamental answer. The fundamental difference between us and them is that we are united to Christ. We are joined to Him. And Christianity is not merely an external code 
based on discipline and social pressure. No, we have a supernatural religion that is grounded in the life of Christ and the power of Christ. And that fact is essential for our theme because if you are trying to be devoted to God the same way a Mormon is trying to be devoted to his faith, then you will miss the mark every time. No, we must pursue godliness with the perspective that Paul gives in Galatians 2, 19 and 20. So let's go ahead and read these familiar verses. Paul says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my title today is The Engine of Our Devotion. And my outline is built on three ways that Christ has transformed our devotion. So, So the first way that Christ has transformed our devotion is that Christians serve a different master. Christians serve a different master. Now, now before we get into the text, I do think it's, it's important uh, to, to note that, 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 that Peter, or excuse me, Paul here is giving these words in the, in the context of a significant confrontation between himself and the Apostle Peter. So, so to really understand Verses 19 and 20, we actually need to back up and read verses 11 through 18. Let's read read in chapter 2, verse 11. Paul is telling a story. He says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed... I make myself a transgressor. So the context here is that the church at Antioch was a very big deal because it was the very first Gentile congregation in the history of Christianity. And so uh, Peter's down in Jerusalem and and he hears about what God is doing up there. And so he comes up to visit and and the text tells us that that, that rightly, he, he greets the Gentile believers as equal members of Christ. Because the gospel had destroyed all uh, ethnic distinctions and and, and brought Gentiles and and Jews into being equal members of of the body of Christ. And Peter acknowledged that and was fellowshipping with them accordingly. But then Paul tells us that a group of Jews showed up from Jerusalem. And they began to put some pressure on Peter and say, Hey, you're not standing up for your own people. 
You're not standing for the Jews. And, and so Peter capitulates. And he backs away from fellowship with these Gentile believers and, and asserts that, that classic Jewish position of superiority over all of them. And Paul, Paul was furious. And, and that's because regardless of what Peter's intent may have been, his behavior contradicted the radical change that the gospel had brought, and Paul understood that if he did not openly rebuke Peter, then a wrong message about the gospel was going to be, conf- be communicated. So he stands up and in front of everyone confronts Paul for his hypocrisy. Talk about an awkward moment. And that is important context for our text because it means that our text is especially confronting Jewish legalism, all right, Uh, through the lens of Paul's personal testimony. So Paul's going to talk to Peter as someone who has come out of the same context. Now, now that's not to say that this text doesn't have a lot of application for us as, as mostly Gentile believers, but it is important that we recognize that the Jewish context for what, excuse me, what Paul is saying. So with that in mind, Paul's old master, he says, was the law of Moses. Before Paul was saved, his master was the law of Moses. So Paul says in verse 19 that before Christ, he served the law. And of course, I think we understand that, that the law controlled every aspect of Paul's life. It controlled what he ate, controlled what he wore, controlled who his friends were, and on and on we could go. And I think it's important to be clear uh, always that the law was not inherently bad. It was a good gift of God when it was rightly used. It it, it brought Israel near to God. It showed them their need of salvation. So, So the law was a good thing. But of course, the problem is, is that sinners can never perfectly obey the law. We can never earn salvation, and and as well, in the hands of sinners, it was often manipulated not as a means to draw near to God, but as a means to make myself look better than everyone else, and and as a means of self-glory and self-righteousness. But Paul here rejoices that Christ changed everything. He says, I, through the law, died to the law. And, And what does he mean by that? Well, 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 to understand what, what he means here by his death to the law through the law, look over at chapter 4 and notice what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. All right, so, so what Paul says there is that when Christ was born into the world, he, he submitted to the law. He obeyed every standard that God had given to Moses, and, and he did so perfectly. And as a result, he was able to redeem those who were under the law. So in other words, Christ freed us from, from the obligations of the Old Testament law, and, and he freed us from its domineering power that, that condemned sinners. So so Paul's former master was the law of Moses, and then in the simplest terms possible, he describes his new master. His new master was God. So he says in verse 19, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. 
Now, now you might find that. Isn't that kind of a curious distinction? Like, didn't God give the law? So what's the difference between serving God and serving God's law? Well, well, to answer that question, uh, one other text we need to look at. Turn out, keep your finger here, but turn back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And I want to read verses 4 through 6. Romans 7, verse 4. And Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter." So so verse 5 there is very important because it exposes the weakness of the law. So in the hands of sinners, the law of Moses could never give life. It it could only bring condemnation because sinners are always going to break the law. We can't obey it. So Christ came and Christ freed us from the condemnation of the law through his death on the cross. He redeemed us. But it's not just that he broke us from the tyranny of the law. He he tells us in verse 6 that he also gave us the indwelling spirit. That the Holy Spirit lives inside us and now we can serve God in his strength. And as a result, verse 4 says, it says you have been married to another. To him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. So in other words, by the power of the Spirit, I have a new master. And I can pursue genuine righteousness that the law could never produce. I mean, I can bear fruit to God. I can live for His glory and His pleasure. And that, you know, for us as Christians, living at this, you know, 2,000 years after the cross, that may not sound like a big deal. But for Paul, it meant all the difference in the world. Because now he had a confidence through Christ that he could please the Lord that he never had as a Jew living under the law. And not only that, Christ revolutionized why Paul pursued righteousness. Because before he he met Christ on the road to Damascus, uh, it was all about earning God's favor and, and, and earning acceptance with the Lord. But now Paul understood that I'm already secure. I am am under the blood of Christ. I am in Christ. And so therefore, he he now served God from a position of security. Not to earn salvation, but because he loved him and he trusted him. He no longer served a law. He served a person. He served God. And, And you know, that security makes all the difference in the world. It was interesting that that first time we visited Utah, it was interesting to learn that the, the area where the Ortega served was known as Happy Valley. Not because people were happy, uh, but because of the, fa- of the incredibly high number of people in that area that were on antidepressants. In fact, the, the, the numbers per capita uh, of people on antidepressants there is, is about as high as is anywhere else in the country. As well, uh, I, I believe the statistic is, is that Utah leads the nation in plastic surgeries per capita. 
Now, now what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that there is an extreme amount of of external pressure that is being exerted on these people to live a certain way and, and to look a certain way. And they're not doing it because they love God. They're doing it, and they're securing him, they're doing it to to measure up, to keep up with the Joneses, and and to not stand out. But not us. We don't have to live in fear. No, instead, we can gladly serve the one who already secured every blessing that we need, and whom we love for all that he has done. And again, that is so important that we see that, because because we're working our way normally through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in a hard section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, next week, we get to hit the passage where Jesus says that if you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her in her heart. That is a hard passage. You know, so, so we've talked about anger. We're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about loving your enemy. We're going to tar- talk about turning the other cheek and and all sorts of other things. And if you look at all those things in the Sermon on the Mount uh, and, and do so with the perspective uh, that, that Paul had prior to his conversion, you will despair. But if I'm focused on pleasing the Savior, not to earn his salvation, but because I already have it, it becomes a labor of love and joy, not just a burden. And so, folks, it is so important that we approach spiritual growth with that perspective, that that you have to look past God's commands to God Himself, and that you are doing all that you do for Him because you love Him. So, So verse 19 provides a very important perspective for our theme, devoted to God. By God's grace, I am not merely devoted to a standard. I am devoted to a person who has given me the power to do everything that he has called me to do. So so the first difference that that the gospel has made is that we serve a different master. The second way that Christ has transformed our devotion is that we serve in a different power. We serve in a different power. So so return to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, But Christ lives in me. So so before Christ, uh, Paul says that it was I who lived. So so the former power that we followed was human power. So before Paul was born again, all his efforts to obey the law were about Paul improving Paul. He couldn't depend on divine power to do so. Now, now I do want to be clear that that's not to say that God did not give grace and divine aid to Old Testament saints. I think, you know, they, I know that they were born again, just like we are. God changed their hearts, just like He does for us. And so, and so David, Abraham, and so forth, God strengthened them to love His Word, to obey His Word. But that wasn't true for Paul, because Paul wasn't a justified Old Testament saint, Right? He was trusting in his good works to get him to heaven. And so Paul was trying to do all of this in his own strength. And of course, that's what most religious people in the world are doing. Most Mormons, Catholics, Muslims, and others, they're looking to themselves for power to keep a standard of law that they hope will earn them a place in heaven. 
So Paul's former power was human power. But then he was born again. He saw Christ in the road to Damascus, and he received a new and far superior power. So now he served in Christ's power. So, so verse 20 makes a succinct but very important statement about this idea of, of my union with Christ. And Paul says that when he got saved, he didn't just get a ticket to heaven. You know, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak. No. He was united to a person. And, 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 and in being united to that person, he was especially united to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So, so first of all, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And because of that, it is no longer I who live. So what Paul's doing here is he's looking back on his old life before he knew the Lord. And the Bible teaches that, that all of us, before we are saved, are born enslaved to sin. It blinds our eyes. It dominates our passions. We can't please God. And we certainly don't love Him and worship Him as we were made to do. Now, that's not to say that unbelievers don't have religious passion, right? There's lots of people all over the world that do not know Christ. They have lots of religious passion. But it's always about me, my effort, and, and my ability to make myself acceptable and praiseworthy. And we just need to understand that those things will never produce the true righteousness that we're learning about in the Sermon on the Mount. But then Paul was born again. And his old life of sin and legalism, he says here, was crucified with Christ. In other words, his old life died with Jesus on the cross. It was put to death with him. And instead, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so... Paul is saying there, and so Paul here, he's talking about our union with Christ. And the point is, is that Christ's resurrection life, I mean, Jesus died, his old life was put to death with Jesus, he was raised with Jesus to newness of life, as we say in baptism, and, and, and Jesus now empowered his new pursuit of righteousness. So, so it's not that Paul had less zeal than he did before. In fact, Paul probably had a whole lot more religious zeal after he met Jesus than he did before he met Jesus. But, 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 he, did, but he served God in an entirely new power. Now, you could say that, that he had a new engine. You know, this, this week we were up at Mammoth. You know, you're driving around, you're driving up to these various places, and, and, and when you're driving, you oftentimes see there's bike paths all over the place, and you see these people you know, going up this mountain. You know, they're they're eight, 9,000 feet up, and they're just huffing and puffing, you know, and they got their bike and low, and, and they're trying to get up that hill. You know, and here's me sitting in, you know, sitting in the vehicle, and I'm just sitting back, you know. I'm driving up, no problem at all. Like, why are these guys, you know, why are they huffing and puffing? This isn't hard. Well, what's the difference? They're pedaling, and I've got an engine. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that instead of pedaling his own bike like he used to before he was saved, he was sitting on a supercharged engine of, of divine strength. And, and again, that is the most basic reality that sets me apart from a Mormon, a Muslim, or, or any other religion. That, that my pursuit of righteousness is not merely about me bettering myself. 
No, it is about the new life of Christ manifesting itself through me and progressively transforming me. It is all about Him. And again, that is vitally important for how we think about our theme. I have been united to Christ. And I have been devoted to God. And so the engine that drives my ongoing work to be sanctified, the engine that drives my effort to obey the Sermon on the Mount and every other command that God gives, is not primarily me. It is Christ. So before we move on, I want to emphasize a very important application of this. And that is because this is all true, we must walk in the strength that Christ alone provides. So, so, so again, keep your finger here. One other passage, John 15. Turn over to John chapter 15. And Jesus here is speaking just hours before his arrest. In John chapter 15, he says to his disciples in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus is very clear that spiritual growth is not simply about me trying harder. No, instead, he, he warns that apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing that truly pleases the Lord. So, so spiritual growth always begins with abiding in Christ. So what's that mean? Well, of course, it begins with the fact that you've been born again, that you know Christ in the gospel. But then it means that you just live every day of your life in reliance on the means of grace that Christ has provided. You know, that, that, that you are striving to know Him in the Word. That you meditate on His nature and His work. That you talk to Him in prayer. You ask Him for grace. And you consciously walk in His strength as you battle sin. And when you fail, you don't run to your ability to to earn back the favor of God. No, you run to Him for grace and forgiveness. So Christian, I want to challenge you to abide in Christ. As Colossians 2 verse 6 says, walk in Him. Beautiful picture. And do not let your devotion to God spiral into a man-centered self-improvement. No, walk in the strength that Christ alone provides. So folks, folks, praise the Lord that we serve in a different power. That, that I can pursue godliness in, in the strength that Jesus alone provides. So let's make sure that we're abiding in Christ and doing just that. So, so we serve in a different power. And, and then the third way that Christ has transformed our devotion is that we serve with a different focus. We serve with a different focus. So, so back in Galatians chapter 2, Verse 20 concludes by saying, It is no longer I who live, or excuse me, it says, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Now, now Paul here does not explicitly say what his old focus was, but I believe that we can safely infer that, that Paul's old focus was faith in myself, right? Because his new focus is faith in the Son of God. So, so before Paul came to Christ, his faith was in his own ability to measure up to God. And he looked at himself, looked at the law, and he said, I can do this. And what's so sad about Paul and about so many other people that are caught up in legalistic religions is that they delude themselves into thinking that they really are achieving this incredible righteousness. Now, Paul reflects on his testimony in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but in verses 4 and 5, you know, Paul thinks about his life before conversion and says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And Paul really thought he was something. He really thought, man, God sure has to be thankful he's got me. And I'm going to have the first seat in heaven someday. But then on the road to Damascus, he saw Christ. And when he saw Christ in his glory, he understood for the first time how sinful he really was, how far he fell short. And he was born again. He put his faith not in himself, but in Christ. And so his new focus was faith in Christ. And he says here in verse 20 again, it is no or he says in verse 20, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And it's important that we appreciate really two aspects of this faith that Paul gained on the road to Damascus. Now, first of all, he trusted in Christ for justification. He put his faith in the Son of God to make him right with God and to give him a place in heaven. And that's a huge change. Because again, before Paul was saved, his, his confidence was in himself to earn him acceptance with God. But now he understood that the only one that could make him acceptable to God was God himself, through his son, Jesus. And notice what he says. Back up and, and look again at what he says in chapter 2, verse 16. He, he says to Peter, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You know, this verse is like, you know, this is one of those verses like, this is like a parent speech. You know, you tell your, you tell your kid the same thing like 10 times, you say it a little differently, just to really make sure you get the point. So three times in, in this little verse, Paul says, there is no justification no righteousness in my own works. I can only be declared righteous through faith in Christ. So, so maybe there's someone here today who, who you've, lived your, you've lived your whole life trying to earn acceptance and salvation with God. You've done good deed after good deed. You've lived a certain way year after year. And you hope that you're going to heaven because of all that you've done because of how you were raised, because you grew up in a Christian family, you assume that makes you a Christian. And I hope that you'll see 
that you can never do enough. You can never do enough to earn acceptance with God. And Paul could not be clearer, could he? He says, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So no matter how religious you may be, you will always fall short of the glory of God in your own strength. And so you need to put your faith instead in the Son of God. And, and, and Paul, you know, again, he says in chapter 2, verse 20, his faith is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so he reminds us there of, of the fact that Christ demonstrated incredible love when he willingly gave his life on the cross. And he took my punishment in his body. He took the judgment that I deserve in himself on that cross. He suffered excruciating pain. He suffered the wrath of God, and he did so so that I would never have to face that wrath myself. And the gift of salvation can be yours if you will put your faith in the Son of God and the Son of God alone for salvation. And so if you have never done that, you've lived your life hoping you get to God someday, trying to do what you can to earn his favor, Maybe just assuming, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't see why God wouldn't accept me. I hope that you'll see that, that you cannot do enough, but there is salvation in Jesus. And so you just simply need to cry out to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I can never save myself. And so I trust in Jesus for my salvation. And if you've never done that, I hope that you will not leave today without settling that. You can can pray and talk to the Lord right now in your seat. Or if you have questions, we'd love to talk with you afterwards. But don't keep living like Paul had before he was saved. Leave today under Christ, united to him and his righteousness. So, So the first aspect of Paul's faith was faith in Christ to save him, but, but really that's not the primary point that he's making in verse 20. No, the second aspect of Paul's faith is faith in the power of Christ to live out the Christian life in a way that glorifies the Lord. Right? So, so Paul says, my, my life in the flesh, which, which, by which he doesn't mean anything bad, he just means life in this world. He says, my life in the flesh is a life of faith. So Paul wasn't focused on worldly goals and worldly ambitions. And especially, he wasn't focused on faith in himself to earn him a place with God. Instead, his focus was on the Son of God. His focus was on Christ, who made the ultimate sacrifice. The one who loved Paul and gave himself for Paul. I mean, Paul was amazed at what Jesus had done for him. And and hopefully you can feel the emotion of, of that last statement, who loved me and gave himself for me. And furthermore, Paul trusted in Christ to strengthen him for for Christian living in a way that that Paul could never strengthen himself. You know, so so Paul, you know, here's what, you know, in our circles of Christianity, what sometimes happens. We think, all right, I'm saved by faith. I trust in Jesus, I trust in Jesus, now I'm going to heaven, and now I live the rest of my life by personal grit. It's about me making myself better. No, no, faith played a vital role in every aspect of Paul's life. 
And, and he's specifically here, he's saying that he trusted Christ to strengthen him, to live a godly life that pleased the Lord. And again, that might sound like a minor shift. Trust in myself, trust in Christ. But it makes all the difference in the world. And it especially makes a difference when you fail. And when we fall in our Christian life so often, we turn inward. We focus on how terrible we are, and we lose hope that we're ever going to make any progress or change because we think it's all about me. It's about how I let down God. And, and, and but instead, if faith, if, if, if my faith and focus are on Christ, I know that that's not true. By the strength of Christ, I can get up and I can make progress because Christ lives in me. So, so make sure that, that as you seek to live a life devoted to God, you do so by faith in the Son of God. So look to Him to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Make a conscious choice, day by day, really oftentimes moment by moment, as Jesus said, to abide in Christ, to stay near to Christ and near to the grace that He gives. And make sure as well that you do so with the joy that is at the heart of this verse. And, you know, Paul did not look at, at obedience to God as a drudgery, right? Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. I mean, no, he says, my life is a life of faith in the Son of God. Man, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul was happy to serve Christ. Happy to pursue holiness because of all that Jesus had done for him. So, so again, my title today is The Engine of Our Devotion. So I want to ask you, what is it that inspires your Christian life? Why do you do the things that you do? Why are you here today? And what is empowering your pursuit of holiness and all of your good deeds? Are you simply trying to meet a standard? Are you simply trying to keep God and your family and the church off your back? Or has God provided something better? And this text declares that the engine of our devotion is union with Christ. In Him I have a security that no other religion enjoys. And therefore I am inspired to serve God not by the fear of hell, but by the love of Christ. And I have strength to make genuine progress through Him. So, so do not let your Christian life spiral into the legalistic spirit of every other faith. Don't just be, you know, someone that uses a little different Bible, has a little different commands than every other religion in the world. Anchor everything in the gospel, person of Jesus, and your union with Him. Keep your eyes on Christ, walk in His grace, and watch Him transform you in a way that you will never transform yourself. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. And here in a moment, we'll sing a song of, of testimony, but I do, do just want to ask if there's anyone here that has questions about your soul, and maybe you need to receive Christ as Savior, or, or you just like me to pray for you. If you, if you just have questions and you need to receive Christ or you'd like to talk with me or talk to someone else later, if you could just slip up your hand so that I know to seek you out, we'd love to do that.
there's anyone like that today? Okay. Lord, thank you so much for uh, the gospel and for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that today and every day we would live to serve you and to glorify your name. And Lord, we, we pray that you would strengthen us for the work that you're called us to do. In Jesus' name.